Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of First Peter. Right, we're continuing our Exiles and Alien Sermon series. Remember, as we're looking at, Peter's writing to Christians that were scattered around what is now modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to them to remind them that this is not your home. This is not where you belong. But that doesn't mean that when you got saved, when you accepted Christ, that you're going to be taken right to heaven. No, you're called to live here as an alien and an exile. You're called to be a witness and an ambassador for Christ. So he's, this whole book is about how do we live our life in this world, in a world that's not our home, being in the world but not of it. Not just so separated that we're not influenced by anything or we're untouched by everything, but that we enter into the reality. Just like Jesus incarnated and entered into the world, yet he was still the light of the world, transcendent. So how do we live out our identity as aliens and exiles in this world? Because, no, we're not facing the same type of persecution and suffering that, that these first century Christians were. I mean, Emperor Nero was on the throne. He's the one that threw Christians to the lions. He's the one that used Christians to light his dinner parties. He hang them on a pole, cover them with tar, and they were the lamps. This is a persecution that they were going through. And so as we go through this book, the theme of suffering is there all throughout. In the midst of that life, in the midst of their culture, Peter is saying you're an alien and an exile. So how shall we live? So what I want to do is we're going to read through a a chunk from uh, starting in chapter 3. And we're going to read through kind of a bigger chunk. I'm just going to make a couple comments on things that we're not necessarily going to touch on today so much. Uh, And then uh, we'll get into our our chunk that we're looking at today. Because today we're going to be talking about the witness of a changing life. Okay, it's part two. We talked about it two weeks ago. Two weeks ago we talked about our attitudes. How the witness of our life that it's in transformation by the attitudes that God wants uh, to be changing in our lives. And today we're talking about intentional holiness. where, Where Peter is saying, stop sinning and start serving. So let's go ahead and read a little bit from chapter three, and this will kind of give us the bigger context of where we're at. So he says, who was there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And we'll come back to that verse there in the green in a couple sermons from now as we look at how can we be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Then he says, And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We're going to just pause right there, okay? We can't just go over this. Christ died for sins. And what's the next words after that? They're in the blue. Christ died for sins what? Once for all. We're going to celebrate communion at the end of the service. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, died in your place and mine. His one sacrificial death is enough to forgive all of your sins and mine. Why? Because he paid the debt that we owed. I was listening uh, to a part of a sermon by a a pastor named uh, Paul Washer, and he was saying this. Somebody asked him, he was at a college, and somebody had asked him, how could one man's death pay the price for everybody? Like it's one person dying and forgive everybody? 
And, and, and he knew that the man had said that to kind of cause trouble. Like, yeah, you're not going to be able to answer this. And he said this, Paul Washer said, son, you meant this for evil. God's going to use it for good. Now sit down and listen. Okay, and here's what, and here's what it is. Because Jesus Christ is not just a man. He is the son of God. And this is what Paul Washer said. He said, because he is infinitely more valuable and precious and big than all of our lives put together because this is the son of God, the one who created life, gave up his life for you and for me. And that's why Jesus dying, he only had to die once, once for all. Because his death is more tragic than all the deaths of humanity combined, right? God dying. And so God becoming man, Jesus, paying our debt, his one death is more than enough to forgive all of us because he is infinitely precious. So we can't just skip over that. Christ died once for all, the just, the absolute righteous for us who are unjust, who are not righteous. Why? That he may bring us to God. And this isn't just like bring us in front of God. Like the words behind there are like, make that like formal introduction. It'd be like if if somebody were going to introduce me to like the king of a country, okay, they wouldn't just be like, well, here you go and put me in there. They, they, They would, this is Jason, so and so and whatever. And the introduction brings us right into the presence of God so that we can be reconciled, we can be made friends. That's the good news of the gospel, okay? And we can't just go, oh, yeah. Like, let, let, it, let it hit us for what it is, okay? Let's continue reading. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, these verses here are some of the most confusing ones in the New Testament, okay? So we're not really going to dig a lot into it, okay? But I didn't want to just read it and be like, what does that mean? There's different ways that people unpack verse 19. What does it mean that he was proclaiming to the spirits now in prison? Okay, how I look at it is, there's kind of two ways I can look at these two verses. Through Noah's preaching and his life of living out the righteousness of God in front of a watching world and making the ark, Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is preaching to the world that was there. And, and everybody except for Noah's family rejected it. And when Jesus died, okay, it says that he descended, okay, and it says when he ascended, he led captivity in his train. So the picture is when Jesus rose from the dead, he has like taken captive captivity. He has brought gifts to men. And so what I see is when Jesus, when after he died, he was proclaiming what his death and his coming resurrection is going to mean. And those in the Old Testament that, were, that had believed in God and were righteous, that proclamation was the victory that was coming for them because they had put their hope in God. And for those that had rejected, it was a proclamation of Christ's victory, but a proclamation of the judgment that they were going to receive. Now, other people will look at it a little bit differently. That's kind of the ways that I have right now. Let's continue on. Verse 21. Corresponding to that, he's talking about the flood. Baptism now saves you. No, 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 not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Uh, This is a verse that some will look at and be like, look, you have to be baptized. You have to get dunked underwater to be saved. Okay, there would be some people that would say, you put your faith in Jesus, but if you died on the way to the baptistry, 
we'll see what happens. Because it says this baptism now saves you. But here, here's what Peter's talking about. He says, look, the flood. God provided the ark for Noah. They got in the ark and the ark carried them over the floodwaters, over the wrath of God, and that's how they were saved. They entered into the ark. They trusted God and they entered into the ark. That's how God saved them. This is kind of like baptism that saves you. But wait, time out. It's not about getting dunked in the water. It's not about getting dunked in the water and the water and the dirt removing from your body. That's not what it is. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. You know, when we talk about putting your faith in Jesus, like the Bible talks about confessing with your mouth, right? It talks about believing. When you believe in your heart that you have sin in your life, that you're not perfect, you don't meet God's standard, when you realize that, and you realize that Jesus is the Savior you need, you can put your faith in Jesus and be saved without words, right? Because you believe. It's like sitting in that chair. Remember we talked about, I believe the chair is going to hold me up. I sit in it. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to do anything to show that. It's something here. And who's the one who knows when I put my faith in God? He knows, right? And, and we know. And so baptism is this time of, this is what I have believed in. And this is my appeal to God. This is my showing. When I put my faith in Jesus without words, and he saved me and he washed me, Public baptism is this. This is what God did inside of me. He washed me clean. He brought me from death to life. I have new life now. And here's the thing. He says, baptism now saves you. But wait, it's not the act of it. That's not what it is. You're saved by what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the faith that we put in him. And so is baptism important? Yeah. We see that in scripture. Everybody that put their faith in Jesus, they were baptized, right? We're saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're saved when we put our faith in him. When we sit in that chair, that is Jesus Christ, so to speak. And that's what it means to be saved. And Peter's looking at how he's talking about Noah and how he connects it with baptism. But I wanted to make sure that we didn't just not read it, but I also want to make sure that we didn't just read it and and not talk about it so that there wouldn't be confusion. Let's continue on. Chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all of this, they were surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses and dissipation, and they malign you but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in the serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength with God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever. Amen. 
Then he comes back to the, to the aspect of suffering. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, for judgment, for it is the time of judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous have saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who are suffering according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Just like Jesus suffered. You see, all throughout this book, Peter is making sure that the Christians realize that just because they have an inheritance to come doesn't mean that life is puppy dog and cupcakes all the time. There's going to be calamities. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials and tribulation. And he says, but here's the thing. In the midst of your suffering, you don't have to understand everything. You don't have to understand why. That's hard for us, right? You want to know why. He says, you can entrust yourself to God who's faithful. Just like Jesus entrusted himself when he was suffering on the cross. And we can look back and see how the suffering of Christ brought salvation to the world. And we can trust in the God who says that he will work out everything for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. Even things that we look at as calamities and tragedies. Easy? No way. But it's true. Why? Because Jesus really rose from the dead. You see, every time that Peter kind of ends a thought, he comes back to the reality that it's because Jesus rose from the dead. So I wanted us to get kind of the whole big picture, okay? Because this is a letter that, that really what they did, they probably got it and they read it through the whole thing. And they probably read it the next week and they talked about it and they just kept reading it and talking about it and, and studying it, so to speak. And so that's what we're trying to do through this sermon series. So, but, but for today, what are we kind of zooming in on today is this. We're talking about the witness of a changing life. Intentional holiness. Or put it this way, stop sinning. And start serving. Because we're going to get the, hey, here's what you're not supposed to do. And here's what you can pour your time and your energy into. Because Christ is going to return someday. So let's, let's look a little bit. Let's remind ourselves of the whole picture of Peter. Then we'll zoom back in on the first 11 verses of chapter 4. So remember, our theme for this, this book. It's living as exiles and aliens. This is not our home. The context of suffering is in almost every chapter. The crux, the foundation, is Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. That's why we have an inheritance. That's why that we know that, that we're protected for the inheritance that's to come. That's why we can face suffering in this life. That's why we can have joy in the midst of hardship. That's why we can have an attitude adjust, uh, adjustment even though the world wants to pull us down. Because Jesus rose from the dead. That also flows through the whole book. The other main parts about this are our new identity in Christ and the actions that God wants us to take out of that. So let's look real quick. These are kind of been like the four verses that have been at the keystone of this book. Let's look at this here on the next slide. 
So he says, look, here's your identity. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because you put your faith in Jesus, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. That we, as Skiff Lake Bible Church, are part of this called out people that we are called to live in between the world and God. As this priesthood that we are... As how we live, we are drawing people to God, just like Jesus introduces us to God because he died for us. We want to introduce people to God in how we live. He says we're supposed to live this way. Why? So we might proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and into light. Because again, you were once not a people, but now you're a people. You didn't have mercy, but now you have mercy. So that's our new identity. But what is the, what is it, the next part of it? He says, beloved. I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from the fleshly lusts that wage war against your soul and keep your behavior excellent. Let your manner of life and how that displays before the world be excellent. So even though they look at you and they revile you and they slander you, they see your good deeds and they glorify God on the day that he returns. Those four verses there, that's like Peter in a nutshell. You have a new identity. You're called to be that priesthood, that mediator between the world and God. And how we live matters in this world. And so there is this exhortation to keep our behavior excellent. So let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter chapter 4, 1-11. Let's unpack this a little bit with that as our foundation. Verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for the less of men, but the will of God. Let's leave that up there just for a little bit. So he says, look, Jesus suffered, so arm yourselves with the same purpose. When you hear that word, arm yourselves, what do you think of? What are pictures that come to your mind? Arm yourself. What was that? Protection. Okay, what else? What else comes to your mind? Word pictures, other words. What comes to your mind? Arm yourself. Weaponry. Weaponry. Yeah, I think of like somebody getting ready to go like paintballing. Okay, so they're like decked out. Okay, it'd be like, um, I don't know if you've ever done paintball or anything like that. I've only done it like once in my life. Okay, and I wasn't really good at it. Okay, I was a kid that was like, I bet I can get that flag before anybody else if you hold my gun. And then I just ran out in the middle, grabbed the flag and ran it back. And I didn't get hit. So that was good. Okay. But it'd be like, you got some of the kids that they just got their, they got their little pistol and their gun. And then you got the other ones that are like fully decked out in everything. So he says, look, Jesus suffered. So arm yourselves. Get ready. You will face suffering. Because Jesus did, you will. And in fact, sometimes the suffering that we go through is a way, the good that God brings out of it is it purifies us. Well, we realize that it's better to suffer for being a Christian than to give in to our flesh and just go along with what the world is going on. So he says this, and here's a challenge for us. To live our lives, the rest of our time that God has given us here, not for the lusts of men, not for the desires that wage war against us, but for the will of God. And so I have a challenge for you. In this past week, what can you point to to be like, this, this what I gave my t- time to was really for the will of God? Because you know what? Sometimes we can just get going through life. And we're doing the, doing the good things and we're going to work and we're being faithful and we're loving our family. And guess what? Those are all things that are the will of God for us to walk that out. But you know what? Sometimes I look at my life and I, and I go, God, I want more of an intentionality to really remember my end and the end. 
Psalm 90, Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may live aright. None of us are guaranteed the rest of today. How should that impact my life? How should that impact your life? There is an end that is coming. So how shall we live today? And so what I desire today is to kind of be like a booster shot in the arm. How can we step up our intentionality to live like we really truly believe Christ is returning again? And it could be at any moment. Now, this isn't something to go, oh, pound us down and be like, oh, man, I, I, what have I not been doing? No, no, no. It's an encouragement to look at what we've been given and how can we take the steps forward. So he says that or we're called no longer to live for our own desires, but for the will of God. Let's continue on in the next verse. We're still in the what we're called not to do. So he, he says here, look, you've already had enough time to indulge in your sinful nature. Okay. Now he's not saying like, okay, that, yes, you've had enough time. But he says, look, that's the old life. That's gone. That's not what you're supposed to do anymore. No. Not to give your life to the things of the world. Not to give your life to the own things that you want. And he says, but you know what? When you do that, the world around you looks at you like you've gone crazy. What, you mean you don't do this? What, you mean you, you do this? And he says, when they malign you, when they talk bad about you, but they're going to have to give an account to the one who's ready to judge the living and the dead. So why or what is some of our motivation for seeking to live a holy life, a life like Christ wants us to, to stop sinning and start serving? Well, one is... We will all one day stand before God in judgment. Now, for a Christian, that is not heaven or hell. Because here's the thing. There's not one of us that could stand before God in judgment and based on our merit, merit heaven. We couldn't. We get into heaven because Jesus died in our place and he washed our sins away. That's the judgment that Christians receive, the faith that they put in Jesus, and they are welcomed into heaven. But there is a judgment, I believe, of rewards. There is a judgment of, like, we are to give an account of our life before God, and that's a very sobering thing for me. What will it be like to stand before God, and here's all the time, all the the resources I had, all the, the talents and the gifts and everything that I had, and what did I do with it? How did I invest it in his kingdom? That's a sobering thing for me to think about. And it's something that I think that we should think about often. Because God wants us to intentionally be living for him because we know that there is a day that is coming. And part of that is to say no to the things of the world and so that our life can be an excellently lived life in front of the world. And this is what he says in verse 6. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that they, though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. If we can go ahead and put the, the next slide up there. These are some of the main verses here. We've read them, so we don't have to read them again, but I want you to see them up here. Peter says, I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from that fleshly lust. Say no to the things of the world. Live a light, a life that shines before the world so that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus would say. He says, look, Jesus suffered, so you yourself suffer. Okay, you will suffer. And I want you to live the rest of your time here, not for yourself, but for him. And you know what? Sometimes I can look at verses like this. I don't know if you're like me. And I can get in this mode of, okay, I want to do this. And I can't. Anybody else ever been there? I want to be really intentional. I want to do this. And then you can get down because you're like, but I don't, I don't do it as well as I want to. 
there is this good tension for us to have. Are we called to be intentional in our Christian walk? Yes. To get into God's word, to do the spiritual disciplines, to work, to do the things that cause us to grow, right? And to serve. Yes. Does it come from your strength? No. It's grace, grace, grace. It's a grace of God that is greater than our sin. So there is this tension. Because God's grace allows us to rest, but it doesn't mean we just kick up our feet and be like, I'm on my way to heaven. Who cares about everything? I can do whatever I want. I can live what I want. Paul says, no way. That's the old life. Why do you want to live there anymore? You died. That's the old man, the old woman. But it's remembering God's grace and resting in it that I believe propels us to walk that path that we can on our own. You see, in the book of, of Titus, chapter 2, chapter, yeah, chapter 2, it says this. This is Paul. He says, the grace of God has appeared. He's talking about Jesus, bringing salvation to all men. And this grace instructs us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. He says, look, the grace of God that God gave you that saved you is a grace that wants to teach you and train you like a child to say no to the things of the world and to live righteously, sensibly, upright, and to live intentionally for him. While we wait for the blessed hope, while we look ahead because Christ is going to return. Christ, the very one who gave himself for us to redeem us or to buy us back, to redeem us from lawlessness or from wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, zealous for good deeds. You know that's who God has made you? He's purified you and he wants to make all of us a people zealous for good deeds. Now here is the thing. If you want to take the active steps to stop sinning, and to start serving. And, and it's not like, oh, I'm always sinning. So I'm st-. No, to continue that journey of stopping sinning and continuing to serve, it's God's grace. It's God's unmerited favor that's going to allow you to do that. Which means that we need to understand the gospel, right? Because grace isn't just us getting something that we don't deserve. Grace isn't just favor from God that we don't deserve. Grace is favor from God when we deserve judgment, right? It's not just that we don't deserve heaven. We do deserve hell. That's the truth. And when we let that sink in and we realize just what God has given us, we can help remember that it's not, it's not my strength walking out this life. It's the gift I've been given and I want to live my life as a life of worship. That's what the Christian life is about. That's how we can really get serious about, hey, God wants us to be about killing our sin, about not letting it have any part of us and walking with him. We talked about a a couple months ago, well, maybe not a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, that God's grace and God's redemption uh, is not condemnation. When we found ourselves going down a wrong path, God's grace, remember I did this before, I threw the bulletin on the ground, God doesn't just step on us and smush us and throw us around, no. God's grace teaches us to say no to the world and yes to him. And we talked about how one degree of difference can make a huge difference in our life, right? Like if we were on a plane from one side of the country to the other and we were just one degree off, if we were going from, um, uh, let's see, from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and the plane just got one degree off and kept on that route, they'd be 42 miles away from their their intended destination. Uh, If we took a rocket to the moon... 
And when we launched it, it was just one degree off. Like, this one degree off, and it stayed on that course. It would miss the moon by um, 4,169 miles. It would miss it by like two moons. But here's the thing. God's grace wants to teach us to course correct. When we get off on this way, where we're not living the way that God wants us to, or we're not responding with the attitude that we know God wants us to have. We're in a tough time, and, and it's tough, and we're not responding in joy. We're responding like a human word in the midst of this trial. God doesn't throw us down and say, I can't believe it. I saved you. I gave you my grace. I gave you my spirit. What are you doing? He says, hey, hey, look what you've received. Let's get up, let's course correct, and let's get back on track. Because God is calling us to an intentional life of, of holiness. Let's continue on in, in, in 1 Peter. Chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in the serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let's just pause right here. Out of this call to say no to the things of the world, to stop sinning, he now says start serving. Your end will come someday. We all will die. The end will come someday. And wise is a person who numbers their days so they can live aright. And so this is what Peter is saying. Look, the end is coming. So I want you to live with sound judgment and soberness. I want you to understand who God is. I want you to understand what he, who he's made you to be. I don't want you to allow yourself to be intoxicated by the things of the world. Keep yourself free from the things that want to hold you back. Why? So you can pray. Prayer is so important. Praying for one another here. I know a lot of you pray for me and my family, and we so need that. Praying for the events that we have going on, like the back to school bash or Awana. Praying for one another. We've had we've had people in the last in this year. We have had a lot of really, really, really hard things happen here in this congregation. And when we lift one another up in prayer, that is hugely, hugely important. So he says, I want you to not be intoxicated by the things of the world, but I want you to have a sober spirit where you know who God is and who He's called you to be, so that you can pray. You know what, sometimes we get into the planning and the doing and we forget the praying. I think there's a reason why, why Peter put praying first. Even before saying, keep fervent in your love for one another. Even before he said, love covers over a multitude of sins and being hospitable and serving one another. Because here's the thing, if we neglect to pray, then we're showing we can do this by ourselves, right? And so God desires us to ask him, to do things in and through us. So this week, I challenge and encourage you to do that. The final verses that we'll go through today. So it says, As each one has received a special gift, we employ it. And he says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength with God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Here's what, what Peter is saying that he wants us to do out of this. He says, you have a new identity. You're called to live differently from the world, to say no to the things of the world, to course correct, and to walk in a new life. And here's what it looks like. Love one another fervently. 
The picture is like you're at the grocery store and you're reaching for like the very, very highest thing that you can reach. And it's like you reach and you just reach a little bit more. He says, love one another with that type of reaching out because love covers over a multitude of sins. And be hospitable to one another. Take care of each other. Serve one another in love. And use the gifts that God has given you to serve each other, to serve the world, and to glorify God. So here's some of the, the, what does all this mean for us today? The whole point of it is we're called to stop sinning and start serving. So what does that look like? Number one, receive the gospel. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, then I want you to know that God has a gift held out for you that your sins can be washed away and you can have real, true life now and forever in heaven. And so if you want to get on that path of walking away from your sin and walking in the life that God has for you, the first thing is you need to realize you need a rescuer and that God, through Jesus, is that rescuer that you need. Number two, Lean into God's grace and course correct. What in your life pulls you away from the will that God has for you? What are the things in your life that can become this intoxication that pulls you away this way? You know those things. You know them. I don't know them. You don't know my things. How can we lean into God's grace and and make the changes in our life that we need to stay away from those things and to walk in the way that he has for us. Because God's really serious about us killing our sin and walking with him. And finally, may we live with our end, your end, and the end in mind. Let us realize the soberness that comes when we realize that we've been given a time on this earth and there is an end to that. And not to bring us down into depression, but for us to realize my life matters, your life matters, the time you have matters. So may we give ourselves to prayer, to loving and forgiving one another, to pursuing hospitality, and to serving in our giftedness. We went through a lot today. And, and we hit some heavy things. I, I don't know about you, but it was digging through the book and, and going through this, like there was weightiness there because I'm like, God, I, I want to live with more intentionality. I don't want to just caught in the motions of life. And as I was praying and seeking through it, he brought me back to it's grace. It's grace. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to get prepared to take communion together. So if you didn't get one of these, Go ahead and put your hand up and and, uh, the ushers can grab one for you. But here's the thing. When we celebrate communion, we're eating a a piece of bread, okay? I mean, I guess that's kind of bread, okay? (laughs) A cracker in there. And we're drinking some grape juice. Like, that's that's what it is, okay? Um, When we eat this, there's nothing that happens with that bread to make it, like, special, okay? It's not like this bread becomes the body of Jesus Christ or the drink becomes the blood, okay? It's a symbol. It's a symbol that points... Yeah, we got... Here, I think I have an extra one, Dixie. It's a symbol that points to the reality that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And if you and if I 
want to live a life of intentionality for him, it starts with what this represents. Because I can't do it on my own. When I strive and I strive and I strive, I find that the mentality that I have seems to be like what Paul experienced when he said, the good I want to do, I I find myself not doing it. And the bad I don't want to do, I see that I do it. Who can rescue me? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, right? You see, when we get our mind and our heart focused on who Jesus is and what he's done, that's where the power comes to live a different life to live with intentionality. And so, uh, as we wrap up this sermon, let's go ahead and take out the bread together. We remember uh, that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had his last supper with the disciples. He washed their feet. He showed them what love was really like. He said, I want you to love one another in the same sacrificial way that I have loved you. Right after he washed their feet. The day before he was crucified. For you and for me. And at that meal, he took out the bread. They were celebrating the Passover. The Passover was a celebration of their rescue out of Egypt. That they had been slaves in Egypt and God had come in with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm to rescue them out. And he says, this Passover you've been celebrating is all about me. I'm the real Passover lamb. I'm the real Passover lamb that is going to rescue you from your slavery of sin into a new life, into a new inheritance. And so he said, take this bread. This bread represents my body which is broken for you. Because he died on the cross. So let's take this together, the bread. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for sinners like us. That you, the God of the universe, loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die that whoever believes in you would not have to perish would not have to spend eternity away from you, but would have everlasting life. We thank you for that. And at the end of the meal, he took the cup and he says, this cup is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And, he, and Paul said, every time we take the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ until he comes again. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we thank you that you did not just look at us from afar and see us in our need and stay far away. But you entered into time and space, became a human, lived life in front of us, showing us what the Father was like. And you died for us. Your body was broken. Your blood was shed. And we declared together that we have put our faith in you to save us and we receive your grace anew. We love you and we worship you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.